so during COVID, not to bring it back to COVID, <laughs> uh, I actually went through and finished a bunch of them because my mindset was, oh, I got to save those like last two pours for some for me and someone special. And then I was like, well, I'm never going to see anyone special. So. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on, everybody? It's episode 261 of Bourbon Pursuit. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny, and today is a Bourbon Community Roundtable podcast, so we don't have a whole lot of news to go over, but just a few things, so here's what's going on. Wilderness Trail is celebrating as they have now filled their 100,000th barrel, and they are getting ready to start building warehouse number six. So congrats to Pat and Shane, Bourbon Pursuit podcast alumni, on this great achievement. Now, you may remember back in 2019 that Buffalo Trace chose 378 charitable partners to receive a special edition from their 6 millionth barrel of Buffalo Trace. And it came as a bottle of Buffalo Trace bourbon and came with some really nice packaging as well, including a piece of the barrel itself. Now, these organizations were there to use these bottles as part of their fundraisers. And to date, 322 of those nonprofits have reported back in and overall, this barrel has helped raise over $1.1 million. Now, there's still 56 more bottles that are still out there that are going to be scheduled to go or postponed due to COVID. Now, Pursuit Series news, we released three new barrels this week, and one was our private barrel selection with Woodenville, and it sold out to our Patreon community. But there's two other barrels, including a brand new rye from an undisclosed distillery, and that will be available to the public starting on Friday, July the 10th. Now, in this episode of the Bourbon Community Roundtable, we discuss the sale of brown foreman assets, including early times to Sazerac, and what the continued impact of tariffs could mean to brown foreman. Then we put ourselves in the shoes of someone going on vacation in Kentucky to visit the trail. Do we decide if now is a good time to visit, or should you just maybe wait a little bit longer? And lastly, we ask everyone, how do you approach a bottle that may only have two or three pours left in it? Do you finish it or do you kind of save it maybe for a special occasion? Now, don't forget, please leave a review because it helps other people find this podcast and helps spread the good word of Bourbon Pursuit. With that, enjoy today's episode. And here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick and this is Above the Char. Over the 4th of July weekend, I was scrolling through my social media and this story from People Magazine just stopped me dead in my scanning. And it was a man who just retired from his profession. He was a doctor and his family surprised him. They opened up the door and there in his room was a massive bourbon collection. They had so many great bourbons in there. They had uh, Angel's Envy Cash Drink. They had Old Fitzgerald Bottled and Bond. They had uh, a ton of Willets and uh, a bunch of Wilderness Trail Cash Drink and Bottled and Bonds. I mean, it really was a bourbon drinker's delight. His first comment was, well, I do have a lot of these, but this is, this is awesome. He was really taken aback to see that they cared and understood his passion. This was in People Magazine, folks. People Magazine. And so you can imagine my absolute delight to see that, to see bourbon had made it over from an everyday bourbon drinker, you know, to People Magazine. And then I read the comments. He's an alcoholic. Well, looks like he's going to be drunk for the rest of his life. All people could say was just tear on the man's collection and talk about how he's drunk and how they're glad he's done because, you know, he just shows up to work drunk. People make all these assumptions just because he had a lot of bottles. Well, I feel very bad for those people because maybe they had someone in their childhood who drank too much and didn't drink responsibly. Maybe they've had someone who was hurt or killed in a drunk driving accident. And see, folks, that's the burden that we have as bourbon connoisseurs. We can't ever take for granted that people do abuse this product and that when people see our massive collections or even if we have a few bottles that we post on Instagram occasionally, we can't take for granted that the rest of the world just doesn't get it. So that's why now more than ever in this cancel culture that we all practice the true meaning of responsible consumption. So 
be kind to one another, and drink responsibly. And that's this week's Above the Char. Hey, if you have an idea for Above the Char, hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube, or go to fredminnick.com and shoot me an email. Until next week, cheers. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to NoseYourBourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. And they're off for another Get 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 000273. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or thebourbonconcierge.com and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon with the 46th recording of the Bourbon Community Roundtable. And we're joined by a bunch of familiar faces as we always see on here. So Ryan, Fred, good to see you all too. We're going to start getting uh, back in the gear of things here relatively soon and see each other a lot more over the next few weeks too as we start getting into recording season. Yeah, I'm so excited about that. You know, we just recorded one um, last week or two weeks ago with MGP and... It was just, uh, it was just get great to be back in the swing of it. You know, I've been, we've been cooped up so much, and and uh, man, miss hanging out, boys. Miss you guys. I know, I missed out on it, so I'm excited to jump back in. But I do like the nine o'clock Zoom calls; they're nice too. <laughs> it makes it a little bit easier, doesn't it? <laughs> you don't it? have to drive around everywhere and and do all that. So <laughs> that's true, but. I do miss seeing you on person, though, especially you, Fred. I see Kenny up every, all the time. So, well, that we've been doing all our virtual barrel picks and stuff. I mean, like that's that's been nice to actually do virtual barrel picks every once in a while, uh, just because we're actually able to include a lot more people that really couldn't travel too often. And uh, you know, speaking of barrel picks, we'll just go ahead and and, and move on to our, our next person here, but Jordan Breaking Bourbon, because I know you all just released a barrel pick or doing a barrel releasing one this week as well. So Leroy Jenkins. Yeah, so first off, make sure you give yourself an introduction and then our fun icebreaker for the night. The question is, what's the worst haircut that you've ever had? Oh, gosh. Uh, My wife's a stylist. I'll tread lightly. (laughs) So this is is Jordan from Breaking Bourbon, one of the three guys who runs the website. You can find us at BreakingBourbon.com or at Breaking Bourbon and all the socials. And uh, always excited to be here. And I think the worst haircut. They'll probably be going back to like childhood when it was like 1980s, like rat tail in the you know early 80s type deal. Like that was probably be the worst one. Yeah, man, that was like early 80s type deal. That was super cool. Thank God I outgrew that one. Did you braid it? 
No, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. But me and my brother were like, apparently we thought that was the cool thing to do. So we begged our parents and with the lightning they bolts. Went with it. Yep. Lightning, lightning bolts and all. Too. Oh, oh yeah. Child of the eighties. Oh man. I hope you can dig up that picture. <laughs> Cause <laughs> that's, that's going to be the next bottle sticker that, uh, <laughs> should be. there you go. The next barrel pick rat tail. <laughs> that wait. or, uh, if we can get some of these, uh, embarrassing haircut photos to go on like the bourbon and beyond Ooh. promo next year. <laughs> there we go. Oh, that would, that'd be, that'd be glorious. <laughs> well, before we move on to the yeah, next one, uh, Cecil, you got a you got a bad haircut story? Not I, my hair's been excellent for the past ten years since I've met my wife. But uh, <laughs> no, uh, I mean I had the Jim Carrey bowl cut, you know, when I was in like third or fourth grade, and and you you match that with like a sun in experiment down in Florida, Ooh, and you get like orange yeah. hair with a bowl cut. You know, I was really rocking all the ladies. <laughs> right on. All right, Blake, you're up. Yeah, so I'm Blake from Bourboner, uh, regular intro. The uh, uh, the only one, well, not the only one, because I guess the hosts are always here as well, but, you know, undefeated in the bourbon community roundtables as far as appearances. You know, if we call appearances <laughs> wins, um, which in my book, and appearances. the fact that you just show up should count. Um, yeah, you've got no, the jersey uh, on, you, it counts as a gameplay. <laughs> exactly. No, always great to be here. Um actually have a really bad haircut story. Uh, my brother likes to tell it with, um, my, for some reason, when I was a kid, my dad would just drop us off at Supercuts and he'd go, I don't know, like it takes 15 minutes to get your haircut. Why do you need to drop somebody off and come back? But he comes back and I'm like running out of the store. I'm probably 12 at the time with the, the haircut apron still on. My dad's like, whoa, whoa, I still got to pay for this. I'm like, no, it's free. They, I mean, they like cut a V into, you know, I was rocking the Caesar with the, the, the bangs in the front, you know, gelled them down nicely. They cut like a V there, gave me no sideburns. And in hindsight, I should have just shaved my head, but I don't know. We got like seven free haircuts from Supercuts. And that made me still go back after that. It was very traumatizing seventh grade year, you know. I had to really build the confidence and uh yeah you know that's when the football career really took off thankfully so uh, <laughs> wear the helmet all the time yeah yeah it, it basically looked like they had put a helmet on my head cut my hair around that and then we're like yeah i don't know it's good like you know you, you came to super cuts on a friday night <laughs> and paid 12 bucks like what are you expecting here buddy <laughs> oh man the classic story right there yeah. i'm sure well, people are loving these <laughs> <laughs> somebody's listening to this right now like what the heck is this like the i thought i downloaded a bourbon down. podcast why is this guy talking about <laughs> super cuts still got a lifetime membership there <laughs> you got a card and everything you show like Put it oh, down, yeah. just like free haircuts yeah, for yeah. life. Like, oh, it's it's that guy again. Let, let him in. <laughs> Give him a chair. <laughs> okay, before we move on to Brian, Fred, you got one? Well, I've got a few. I had a mullet in uh in my sophomore year of high school. I had um was this like a uh, like on purpose mullet, knowing it was like oh man, I was I I had the snap on. This is when I was like doing like rodeos and um I was riding bulls and doing all these like stupid cowboy things and everybody in the cowboy world had a mullet so i had one um i my i don't want to see grew, the mullet i want to see you riding a bull <laughs> yeah we have the we have the old vhs tapes at uh at home i, I went back and watched them and i look at them like how the I, I would never even get near one of those things right now it's like <laughs> back when you had no fear but and i had uh i had I had a lady who actually cut my ear when she was, when she was trimming it. You know, I grew up in a small town and, and we went to someone's house. I'm pretty sure she was on a licensed, uh, a beautician or whatever. And, um, she definitely was not licensed. Uh, but I think the worst haircut I ever had was the, the frosted tips and, uh, Oof. probably my junior year at college. And, you know, and I would wear tank tops everywhere because, you know, oh I was gosh. pretty I was pretty muscular back then. And I would go around like frosted tips being like, hey, what's going on? I mean, I was like straight out of uh, out of that uh, Saturday night uh, live crew that was going like that, going into clubs. Um, <laughs> Do you have like uh, your, your puka, puka shell, shell necklace? I was about to say that. <laughs> I had, yeah, I had uh, I had the shell necklace uh, with hemp. Uh, 
I had the frosted tips and then I would have whatever sunglasses were cool at the time. There's not a lot of those photos that are still around, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, and, and actually kudos to, to Blake Stump in, um, in the chat. He called it. He said, Fred had frosted tips. So either Blake's doing some Googling on me or he just has that, uh, that insight. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Brian, you're up, buddy. All right. Uh, thanks for having me again. Brian was sipping corn and I've been watching the uh, comments and there's a correct guess. Someone said Steven Seagal. Um, I had a beautiful, <laughs> glorious mullet. Um, grew up in Michigan, so we called it the Michigan mullet, although that's not the kind with the perm. There's, that's the hockey mullet. And I didn't have that, thankfully, but it was just gorgeous and just had plumage coming out the back uh, it was i was very proud of it and it at the same time it was the worst haircut i ever had <laughs> and it's still on the uh if you get the special edition of bourbon justice there's a picture of brian in the oh, back centerfold. Yeah, okay. yeah. i tried to do centerfold but the yeah, yeah. Let me. Okay, we'll hair was too long yeah. oh that's awesome all right i'll i'll tell mine so growing up in middle school uh before you went to school every single day, you'd always catch Saved by the Bell. And of course, Zach Morris is on there. And I think this was also the time in our middle school years was when Zach Morris was starting like the college years. If I remember the college years, he had this like this slick back hair, like kind of like, you know, kind of like shaved on the side, slick back going back. Yeah, you got to imagine I was like a chubby sixth grader <laughs> and I tried doing that and it it was exactly that shaved on the sides long and like it, it was like coming to a V I looked like I was like from the Munsters. Like, I was going to say like Adam's family style. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was bad. I mean, it was shaved back or slicked back and everything like that. There is so much gel to make that, make that happen. Thankfully that phase passed as well. <laughs> I mean, I remember gel the gel. Been, yeah. That, yeah. I feel like yeah. we're really missing out on that in our, hairstyles of today you know yeah the gel's I, not I, around anymore no, it's not, we gel we had rad wax rad mm -hmm. wax Mo moose survive like top. you can still find moose and then there's like a pomade you know that you put that's, on your that's hair right. that's the stuff they use now right yeah, yeah pomade still pomade. in and now All when right, i had the mullet about hair I had, for an hour <laughs> <laughs> i mean we best get on to whiskey, boys. Yeah, we better. John Henderson in the chat is like, is anyone even drinking whiskey? <laughs> it's because we are, John. Yeah, I was going to say that's the problem. We started off early. Yep. All right. So let's go ahead and we'll we'll start switching gears here a little bit. So now that we're all back together, it was news uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, and that was the big purchase of Sazerac buying some assets from Brown Foreman. And namely, the biggest thing that really came out of the whiskey geek side of things was the early times acquisition. And for us, we all kind of know that early times has become a staple kind of like bottom shelfer in the past. What it launched, I think, what, two years ago, three years ago, they're sort of like they're bottled in bond one liter. You can only get it. And it's like 22, yeah. like 26 bucks. I mean, amazing whiskey. We ranked it our number one bottled in bond bourbon in 2019. And so it's really made waves. And I think that's what caught a lot of whiskey people off guard was actually Brown Foreman selling that brand. Now, I know, Fred, you had a really good article talking about the pros and cons of where Sazerac and Brown Foreman, they're both making a, a pretty good deal about this. Can you give us a, a summary before we start talking about what we think will become of our, our beloved bottom shelfer? Yeah, so let's take a look at the whole deal. It involved uh, Collingwood, uh, Canadian Mist, and the distillery in Ontario, which is a workhorse distillery. Um, uh, and I've been there. And Canadian whiskey's on the rise. So that in itself is an important acquisition for Sazerac, which is trying to grow its Canadian whiskey portfolio. And at the same time, those were kind of like, you know, so-so brands and uh, you know, facilities for Brown Foreman and Brown Foreman has been hit harder than anybody with the tariffs. Um, you know, there's, you know, they've been very vocal about how much money they're losing quarter after quarter. It's in the hundreds of millions of dollars. And so, you know, they're cash strapped, you know, they need, they need, um, you know, money immediately because they, you know, they have shareholders they have to take care of. And they also, you know, need to keep the lights on, keep people employed. And so that, uh, you know, the Canadian brands make makes a lot of sense. Now, for those who think that the early times brand do, does not make sense, 
you know, I would say that you're 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 right in a lot of ways, and that that brand was very uh, important and connected to Brown Foreman. But what you can see that they're doing is they're consolidating. You know, they're going to put more focus on Old Forester, obviously, Woodford Reserve, and of course their you know their bell ringer and Jack Daniels. Um, early times was actually once upon a time the best selling uh, bourbon in the 1950s. And it was there was uh, an actual hearing held at the uh, government uh, back when the government actually, you know, validated, you know, claims from distillers and said, like, OK, you're the best selling bourbon. Let's prove it. So they uh, George T. Stagg made that claim and early times made that claim. So the government had them come in and present their case as to who was actually the best selling bourbon. And they awarded it to early times. So it's a little bit ironic that's actually going to the um Buffalo Trace, former George T. Stagg Distillery. But with that said, Brown Foreman, by by getting rid of that little bit of still time that would have been going to early times, which you know might have been fifteen to twenty percent, by getting rid of that, they can open up their contract distillation program, which also gives them immediate capital, and that immediate capital is something that they need right now because they've been hit so heavily. Meanwhile, you have Sazerac, which is just putting their arms around a lot right now. Uh, it's a bold move. It's a good move. But the real, well, we're all focused on early times, and that's an important part of it. But the acquisition of that Ontario distillery is absolutely a game changer for um, a company that's trying to, you know, own whiskey. I think it's a win-win for both of them, to be honest. Um, like, Fred says it brings capacity and you think about Sazerac, what's Sazerac, what, what's their bottom shelf brand right now? Benchmark, maybe. Uh, I mean, and even that Rocky hasn't Cavern. gotten, yeah. yeah, yeah, even that hasn't. So I think it gives them a great entry level into that. You got to think about this as like a, a full picture thing where, mm -hmm. um, you know, you have Wheatley Vodka and that's going crazy because everybody's drinking Wheatley Vodka because they could possibly get a, two bottles of Blanton's or whatever it is. So I think it adds to that of having that bottom shelf. It's like, hey, do you support the full portfolio? And as well as, you know, all the points that Fred hit. Um, but it is a little bit interesting. I mean, you know, you. I think we've talked about it here before of like, why do these brands just bounce around? Why do we, why are we push, pouring or pulling historical brands out whenever, why don't they just develop something of their own? So um, I think the brand recognition is, is an interesting part of it, but yeah, overall, I, I feel like it's a win for both sides. Pulling. Well, let's not forget too, that Sazerac does acquire the stocks uh, earmarked for early times. So they're getting those barrels uh, as well. But then what happens, and you know, after that, I mean, so yeah, four years. Take four years, years to figure it out. I think of the one of the one of the great questions that continues to come up is that will early times uh, follow suit with the other allocated uh, styles of of Buffalo Trace? Which man, again, mm -hmm. nobody can argue with the fact that Buffalo Trace whiskey is fantastic, always really good. But they just have like an allocation program that really rubs independent retailers you know, the wrong way, especially. And I think, you know, when, when that happened, that was like the first question that a lot of people had. Yeah. I'm just, I'm confused. Like, I mean, I know early times was like making a little bit of comeback with whiskey geeks, but I mean, all in all, it's still like a nobody brand right now. I mean, it's been like shat on for 10 years. And so I understand the Canadian whiskey side. I mean, hell heaven Hill bought black velvet, which is the number two, whiskey yep. canadian whiskey producer and like apparently that's just gonna go gangbusters and they're already bottling the shit out of that but um i don't know i just don't think early times moves the needle for a lot because every time i tell like regular whiskey drinking folks what's a good bottle of bourbon i say early times they're like what that shit you know <laughs> like so more like the, they gotta you know, i guess maybe if you put the sazerac buffalo trace behind it people will get on board on it uh yeah one of the things that Mark Brown does when he acquires brands is he also like pays very close attention uh, to the histories and early times is connected to the charter Oak brand. Uh, minor case was, um, you know, a, a part of early times. I mean, with 
the early times um, brand, you have a you have basically a new root system, you know, that they can play with. And I, you know, it didn't really occur to me until you kind of started talking about that. But early times gives them another facet of the bourbon world to talk about. And let's let's keep in mind too. Look, Brown Foreman's done a nice job in the last few years with it. But they kind of pulled the plug on early times in the 1980s and turned it into a Kentucky whiskey, which meant they were putting it in used barrels. So they didn't have the passion for that brand as they did with, you know, to your point, Kenny, starting a new one like they did with Woodford Reserve in 1996 and basically, you know, re-championing Old Forester. So, I mean, it's a it's an easy sell. for. I mean, it may sound like it's not easy, but it's definitely a lot easier than selling Old Forester or Woodford Reserve or even a brand like King of Kentucky for them. You can't blame anybody for what they did with whiskey in the 80s. I mean, everybody had to put things a a few notches down. And (laughs) Well, I think the other thing to remember, too, and going back to Ryan's point, right, it's not these are just I'll buy this, this and this. It's more like think of the sports analogy, right, when you're making a trade and whoever was in charge of the trade. So if Buffalo Trace really wanted the right Canadian distillery in Ontario, it's more, all right, you want that? Well, we also want to get a little bit more cash, so you also have to buy early times. Or vice versa, right? If Buffalo Trace is driving the deal, right? Oh, you guys need cash? We'll take, you know, we'll take your Ontario distillery, but you're also going to throw in early times into the deal, right? It's never like a straight one for one. It's always the convoluted, um, right? Who's ever in charge of that deal is masterminding it to maximize what they what they assume is going to be their return, right? For that, and, and so, you're probably right. It probably everything probably started with the Ontario Distillery. That's it. it, it yep, that's know, the it Started with that facility, um, you know. So, how do you think yeah. that works for it? Are they like Brown Foreman's? Like, they send like a fast email to all the big boys, like, "All right, boys, Ontario Distillery is going up for sale. Who's who's the highest bidder?" Or, or you know, how? I actually, I know how that works. It it you know it starts with you know small group of people. And then NDAs get passed around, um, you know. I mean, I've been privy to a lot of those things and uh, to include some distilleries that have been on the block and then, you know, they get rumored to be sold and then somebody reports that they were sold and, you know, it didn't, you know, there would be like a verbal agreement, but it didn't close. I mean, a lot of these things never close. Um, and so it. I, I, think, I think that this is a... I think Brown Foreman, at the moment that they started feeling the pressure and the pain of the tariffs, I think they started looking for ways to, um, you know, salvage their their company. Because if they have all the, if they have all of this weight on them that isn't producing at the same level as uh, Jack Daniels and Woodford and and Old Forester, you know, they have to make some very hard decisions. And I would be looking for other things in their portfolio that's not moving as well. And one of them that, you know, kind of, uh, you know, blows my mind that they, they still have it, but I know why they still have it is uh, Sonoma Contraire, you know, which is a, which is a wine, a decent Chardonnay, but to me it doesn't fit their portfolio uh, because it's, it's the only wine in there. I do like so Sonoma why would, Contraire. Why would you say they still have it for barrel finishes? Uh, no, because young Owsley, that's young Owsley's uh, project. That's his, uh, that's his baby. Um, so, and he's the, you know, he's the son of, uh, of Owsley Brown. And, uh, and to be honest with you, young Owsley is a sharp mind. He's an excellent, uh, he's an excellent, you know, contributor to the industry, but, uh, that's, that's his baby. And, his, and, you know, he wouldn't let that go. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. I was a little sad when I read it. Not that it's not in bad hands with Sazerac, but you know, it's just well, I have Brown to, Foreman was I'm making enjoying the comments though. Oh. All the, uh, oh, the, new, the new finishes and the straight Happy from finish. I, I oh, have yeah. to think that Brown Foreman thinks a little bit of like, you know, what they've had with the prohibition styles, the success they've had there, the success that they've had with the old Forester Rye, that they think like really like do we need to put the amount of work into the early times brand? Um I, I think they kind of you know, assume they can. Well, hell, we did all their work for them. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I mean. I believe they already said in the comments your your commission alone off early times was like a million bucks, Ryan. <laughs> oh, really? Where are these comments? <laughs> <laughs> I, 
Oh, I'm in the private chat. I didn't see the laptop. <laughs> and all you got was that hat. There you go. I mean, I know, thing... This is all I got. And I didn't even get it. Kenny gave it to me. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing, too, to realize with Buffalo Trace, right, from just a strategic standpoint, so they're cranking out warehouses like it's – if you guys – if no one has not been, right, for those watching or listening, if you haven't been out to Buffalo Trace all lately, the warehouses that they're building per year over the next – what is it? remaining seven, eight years is just absurd, right? And they do have to fill those, right? And I know you could fill it with their standard brands that they have, but it is good to just have market differentiation as we talked about before, having different price tiers, even when you do micro denominations of just three or four bucks for each tier is gonna be huge to their benefit, right? So pulling in that early times brand will really help them on the low end because they got a shit ton of bourbon to yeah. be bottling. Right, as each barrels. Right it's now just absurd. So you wait, you know, four, five, six years, and they're just going to be sitting on a metric ton of bourbon. Can we speculate hey, on who's the contract distilling for? Well, here before we get to there, because the one thing I want to talk about, especially with this this shit ton of bourbon, as well as Brown Foreman's sort of like footprint in the world, you see a huge difference between what Brown Foreman does on an international level versus what Sazerac does just on a national level. So they've, if these tariffs don't end or like nothing comes of it, I mean, is this sale just a Band-Aid on what could potentially happen for Brown Foreman in the future? Or is this something that says like, okay, like we finally got ourselves a little bit balanced and now we just have to understand that we have to start taking the losses of Jack and everything else internationally and, and start like hedging against it. Like what's, what do you all see there? Well, you got to remember too, Brown Foreman acquired a lot of scotch, a lot of scotch brands, um, even before the tariffs. So they're getting it from both ends. Um, so I, I think I wouldn't call it, I wouldn't call it a band aid. I, I, I would call it maybe some stitches, you know, you know, so it's like, we're, we're past that, uh, the like it was point. really bleeding. Like they were really bleeding yeah. out. Is that what you're thinking? They, okay. they were bleeding. And they've got some stitches on there. But it's now that holes. we have, uh, you know, a year, you know, who who knows what this world looks like in a year? I mean, for God's sake, freaking <laughs> the bubonic plague is back. I mean, I just you don't you just don't you can't even predict a you know a week without a catastrophe. So who knows? I think that right now this move is really good for Brown Foreman. I actually think it's better for Brown Foreman than it is Sazerac. But I, I know one thing, Brown Foreman is, is about as strong of a company as we have in Louisville. And it's just hard to imagine them not making the best decision for their company. They've all, yeah. One thing they've done is they've made great decisions all along yep. and they've, they've all proven to be great decisions. And with the way that old Forrester in particular has been, been rocking, especially with the private barrels. I mean, the, the old Forrester private barrels have been some of the best private barrels that I've had in the last couple of years. Um, so they're, I, I, I like that they're giving it the focus that they deserve. And it's just old in early times, just to, you know, they can do without it. All right, so let's go back to this uh, this contract distillation. We'll call it theory right now because uh, I don't know, if Fred, if you've got an inside story or anything like that because I guess if if they start doing contract distillation, Cecil's going to be the first one Give to raise his hand. Give me the number. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, so, and who's, co who's co-signing for me? <laughs> and so, so I, I want to I touch on that a little bit because I think it's, it is a good theory. It's a way to that they can get some cash relatively quickly. But it also is impeding on anything else that they might be seeing a shortfall of. And I don't know if there's any shortage of Old Forester or, or Woodford that's sitting on the shelves. I don't think there is uh, because everything is like what less it's like four to six years old. Right. So it's nothing's too crazy. Um, but if they have their King of Kentucky line, which is, um, you know, much older. Fred, where did the the theory come from and, and everybody else's? You know, how much validity do you think it has to it? I love this. Put him in, pin him in a corner. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. Uh, basically history. Like I know, I know when their contracts went up and um, I, I know how their stills run, you know, without burning sources, you know, I do have a, a lot of sea level, uh, you know, friends and, and elsewhere in, in the company. And uh, 
after it came out, I had, after I had kind of, you know, put that theory out, um, I had a couple of people tell me that that was good kind of putting two and two together. So, you know, and, and it, it's a matter of like, just, just knowing how the American whiskey industry has been operating for hundreds of years and knowing what that particular company is going through. And it's a long standing practice. They were making, um, liquid for heaven hill for a long time they're making it for mictors for a long time and that wasn't really out there until you know my book came out um you know so like these things these things are kind of common knowledge um it just the the people who are promoting the other brands you know don't necessarily always want you to have that and i understand that i understand that like you know but i also think that it's we're in a different world of American whiskey than we were 15 years ago. Today, the the whiskey world's a little bit like uh, like the sports world, where we want to know, you know, what kind of a uh, calf strain Tom Brady has and whether or not it's going to impact our fantasy football league. <laughs> I mean, we we treat this stuff just like we do sports, and I love that about it, and um, it's it's fun for me. But you know, and I don't take any joy in being right about these, these types of things. Uh, just like I didn't take any joys of being right about like, uh, what I said the Trump tariffs would do in the New York times. I mean, I, I hate this. I mean, I wish Brown Foreman could, um, I wish Brown Foreman could hang on to their assets, but you know, it is what it is and they got to do what they got to do. And, but I do know that, um, I would, if I'm, uh, going into the contract, if I, if I need a brand, I'd be calling Brown Foreman over just about every other company. Do you think you'll see any age stock on the market? Uh, I think we've already seen it. We just don't know it. You know, I mean, there is uh, that stuff's getting traded very consistently uh, from from broker to broker. Now, what will happen is like it doesn't actually move. The rights to the barrels get traded um, in the brokerage market. I mean, there's a reason. Like, look, Kenny Ryan, you guys are independent bottlers. You see the you see the availability of what's out there. It is not a coincidence that we are starting to see a lot more twelve year old to fifteen year old Kentucky bourbon pop up on um, on the source market. That's because people are trying to get capital. It's it's plain and simple. And it may be Barton, but it may not be owned by Barton. Those rights may be owned by someone else. And so like I'm consistently being hit up with somebody who has like 2000 barrels of, you know, three year old Indiana bourbon. Like, Hey, I've got 2000 barrels. Can you help me move it? I'm like, I'm a fucking journalist. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, that stuff happens all the time. watch me on YouTube. Good. I'm doing a blind tasting tonight. <laughs> Tune in. Damn right. Awesome. Before we move on, anybody else have any, uh, kind of last comments on the, the Sazerac early times? No, this will be good. It'll be interesting over the next few years, I think, especially as those stocks that they acquire start disappearing, right? What does that mean? Does Buffalo Trace try to change the whole brand signature taste? They try and mimic it. You know, do they create a whole new early times brand out of it? Um, it'll it'll be really interesting. But I think, you know, if you love it right now, you still have a few years to stock up. But um, what's it? What's interesting is, um, well, we, you know, we haven't seen this happen a lot recently, but will we see a, uh, like a secondary market increase because, you know, switching sources. So, you know, will we start to see the, uh, ISO Brown Foreman, uh, <laughs> early times model and bond. Oh, yeah. Guarantee so, it. Guarantee it. All right. Ready to move on? Let's, Let's move on. Because. Uh, yeah, you need, uh, yeah. Put a, put a new hat on. <laughs> I think I think you should have a new hat for every segment, Ryan. Oh, there you go. That's how it works. That's right. Right. <laughs> Wardrobe change. Be right back. Who are we talking about next? Do I have an so, open barrel hat. Uh, we're gonna start talking about just any kind of distilleries that are happening in Kentucky, because as with COVID and everything else, we've seen that now distilleries are starting to slowly open back up. Sazerac has started to open back up with Buffalo Trace in 1792. Wild Turkey starting to open back up. We've seen Four Roses barrel selections start to open up back up. However, their tours aren't open back up yet. So it's sort of hit and miss a little bit right now. But everybody here that's on the round table, well, of course, Ryan and Brian and Fred and myself, we all live in Louisville, so we know what it's like. But Blake and Jordan, you've both been on the trail before. 
So there's a lot of things that we see in the bourbon groups and they're like, hey, I'm heading to Kentucky this week. We're going to get in their, our trail tour. Now, if you are a betting person and if you want to get the most out of your trail trip, is it a good time to do it or should you wait? Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point of sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns, from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Now, if you are a betting person and if you want to get the most out of your trail trip, is it a good time to do it or should you wait? I'll I'll go first. I think it's an incredible time to go because I think the tours are going to be minimal and they'll be shorter. And those are the worst parts of the trips. Like, <laughs> and you gotta remember, this is why people tasting. are going to it. Yeah. No, no. I think the best part are the tastings and they're still doing those. And I think... There's going to be less people. I think they're going to get more attention to it. I don't know. I think it could be a cooler experience now uh, just because they've been pimped up. They're waiting for people to come. And I think they're going to, I think it's still not going to be as busy as people want it to be. And so I think you're going to get a little more VIP service during yeah, this you, time. You will get not, the full yeah. attention. You're right, Ryan. You, you nailed it, I think. So I'll give it from a non, right, a non Louisvillean, non Kentuckian standpoint. So I usually make it down to Kentucky, I don't know, three, four, five times a year, right? And it, it's always fun. I think, and the answer to your question, Kenny, is going to be it depends, right? It's going to depend on how comfortable one people feel traveling for themselves, but more so the type of experience you want, right? What Ryan said, what Brian said, yeah, it's going to be a different, probably more VIP like tour. And there's sometimes when you go down, even during, you know, normal times, and you might be at a distillery, right? You go to Willop. There's only two people there. It's almost getting a VIP tour. Mm -hmm. But part of what I like personally when, you know, when I take friends down with me or meet them up is it's sometimes fun when there are a lot of people there too, because there's a whole different energy, right? When you see a whole crowd of people the first time going on their distillery tour, even if you've taken it 15, 20 times, it's really special to see as they learn something new. It's probably going to be their one time, maybe their only time in Kentucky at that distillery. And you kind of feed off that energy in the tour. Tours are also going to be really different, right? It's going to be different, not as intimate as it might have been. People are going to be spread out, might be wearing a mask, right? So it's going to be a different experience. So it's really going to depend. I don't fault anyone if they want to go down right now. Everyone has been, you know, cooped up for a long time. If they want to travel to Kentucky and experience it, just realize it's going to be different. And if you want to wait, that's completely okay too. It's just going to be two totally different tours. If you want to do them both so you can compare and contrast, do that, right? The, the Kentucky economy could certainly use it. But um, there's pros and cons. It really depends. Do you want to feed off that energy or are you looking for something a little bit more small and intimate, just realizing it's not going to be your typical experience whatsoever? I'll kind of come at it from the business perspective of the distilleries. The I've, I've talked to a lot of um, a lot of the people who run uh, tours and everything. And, you know, 
the, one of the big things that they're worried about is keeping their staff safe. You got to remember, these are working facilities mm-hmm. and they don't want someone veering off the tour and going into uh, the still room where it's, you know, nearly 200 degrees and, and the guy's in there cranking a knob and uh, suddenly someone from a, a tour decided to take their mask off because it's 200 degrees in there. And, you know, they're now maybe potentially exposed. You know, there's a lot of fear like that uh, for the actual workers. And the other thing is, is like how many times are we on Twitter and we're seeing like a mob go after somebody who's not wearing a mask? You know, it everybody should be wearing a mask. Let me say that first. But do you want to be a business that gets associated with something like that that's trending on social media? I mean, I, I mean, I think it's really risky for these distilleries to to take tours. And while I'm all for it, I think it's great. And in a perfect world, everybody's wearing a mask and following the rules. But we all know, we all know that that's not going to happen. There's going to be some dickhead who ruins it for everybody. And I genuinely fear that that is what will happen because Kentucky right now, Man, we're hanging on by a thread with all the stuff that's been going on in this state. And, um, you know, I think from a business perspective, I would be closed down uh, until we had a vaccine on the market. And um, I would I just I would just not I would not risk it. And I would be focused on making whiskey. That would be my focus right now right there with you, Fred, but also from that same business perspective, I think that's actually what's drive like the business mindset's driving them to reopen almost, right? So Heaven Hill, they just, the timing could not have been worse for these folks, right? Heaven Hill just opened up their new portion, their distillery tour experience, Woodford, right? Buffalo Trace is expanding. All these guys due to the recent boom in bourbon have dumped tons of money in the, in just the in-person experience. And a lot of it culminated right around when COVID hit. So they're like itching now to start recouping costs that they sunk into this. So it's it's like this catch-22 they're in. Because I'm right there with you, right? Personally, I won't be going down to Kentucky this year, um, which, I'm, which I'm really bummed about. But I, I understand why distilleries are gunning to open because they're like, we just dumped all this money, right? They want to open the doors. They want to be welcoming. But it's it's this really catch-22. Yeah, yeah, I saw a comment in there from, from Matt about more paperwork. And I think that's going to happen. I'm doing it a my first... Uh, let's see, since February, uh, barrel selection on Friday. And the paperwork to do that barrel selection was, uh, I mean, I'd never seen anything like that before for barrel selection. Normally, you make a few phone calls, you're on the list, you show up. And now it's a bunch of paperwork. It's it's rules about bringing your own glass. And you know, there's not going to be any of the chips that are at, at a lot of these different uh, barrel selections to, to break the pallet. Um, and there's going to be a tour that we do. So I'll be able to see what that tour is and have a little bit better idea uh, to see if we're staying more outside. Um, but they needed my home address. They needed all these other things. I'm sure they're going to take my temperature when we get there. So I think with these kinds of precautions, we'll see more distilleries opening up for, for tours. Um, now, the problem is everyone is, knows, and as Fred mentions, it's you know the, the first person who goes there and screws something up. Um, it's just, everything's going to shut down. I think it'll be an immediate shutdown. Um, and for people who've done tours before where you get to stick your, your finger in the mash tub, oh, that's, definitely done. that's out. I mean, and that's, that, that is, that's one of my favorite things about yeah. these tours is tasting that. And, you know, it's all going to, I don't know if people are going to go to the sealed tubs like beam has or what, what's going yeah, to happen now. I don't think we'll do that. I don't think but, we'll yeah. You're going to get kicked out if you do that now. But I mean, um, with, in all honesty, like, is there any risk of doing that? Uh, I, I mean, it's it, that the mash tun's going to a a, a still that's going to be heated right. over 220 degrees, and I'm sure some dirty ass people have put their fingers in those tubs before, <laughs> and we've all been fine. Well, well um, I mean, I don't want to throw Jordan on the spot, but isn't there a story about a dead bird floating in? A oh, yeah. Okay. So that's, that's a fun story. So <laughs> no, no, this, this bird was, I think a non bird. bird. Yeah, there was a time when me and Nick, and it was one of those times we showed up at Willet, not a private tour. We just first thing in the morning and me and Nick were there and uh, we happened to be the only ones on the tour and we're going through and it was, you know, well, it's a gorgeous distillery 
stick our fingers in the uh, in the mash tub. We taste it. Tour guide does the same thing. And right at that moment, I look over, and then you know the tour guide and Nick look over with me, and there's a dead bird floating like ten feet away from us in that same mash tub. We just look at each other. And we just walk on, and that was that. Keep walking, right yep. That's Keep it. Going. Well, in Mezcal, they put you know chickens and all sorts of things in their you know fermentation. So well, dead animals have a long history in distillation, my friend. <laughs> and so one other thing to kind of talk, uh, you know, kind of like tack onto this here was, you know, I had an opportunity to talk to another master distiller recently and, uh, you know, in their distillery, they are doing, they're open for tastings, but they're not open for tours. And it's because it's a smaller distillery. And they, he said that if by some chance, if their staff got infected, they'd be losing about a million dollars a day. So they are not going to open up tours anytime soon and just kind of keep it just tastings for the, for the time being until Hold on, anything wait, does wait. change. He, he, his small distillery said if he lost his staff, he'd lose a million dollars a day. Medium-sized distillery. <laughs> that's, that's, say, that's nearly a half a billion dollar distillery. <laughs> a little so, guy look, called uh, Buffalo Trace. I, you may have heard of him. <laughs> I, I think, I think, I think the tasting is the, the riskiest part because you're sharing glasses, you know, unless the consumers are bringing their own glasses. I mean, that would be the here. here okay. I mean, I know this is a subject we're all tired of. Nobody really wants to talk about it. And there is an ample amount of people who don't believe in it. Uh, what's going on. And we've certainly been led to believe wear a mask. Don't wear a mask. Mask is going to help. It's going to help. There's going to be a vaccine. There's not going to be a vaccine. We don't have a straight answer from anybody about anything. And so I understand why people um, are, are so cynical about this. But but at, at the end of the day, you know, there are so many facets about this. And, you know, I, let's not forget the protests that are still going on in downtown Louisville. There's a lot of moving parts and a lot of things that are happening uh, around that's impacting these distilleries. And my God, I would not want to have to make those decisions because look, we're on the outside. We're over here. We're talking, we're drinking whiskey, we're chatting it up, but our livelihood while is, is connected to whiskey. We don't have, we don't necessarily have like, you know, half a million dollars to, $600 million invested into a distillery that we need human beings there looking at it. So, I mean, you have to make, you have to make the best decision you can. And I just, I just think that we're just jumping into it too fast. And just, we got to be careful about this because we, we don't know where it's going and we don't know. And, and here's the thing. When I say too fast, like our governor will shut it down. Our governor will shut this all down the minute there is a reported case connected to a distillery and then another distillery and another distillery, our governor has proven that he is quick to react to try and protect this populace based on what he thinks is best. And so if you, if you put that in there, you put that whole thing in a big old pile of legal mumbo jumbo and, you know, Brian, I don't know what you'd call it, but I would, oh, yeah, I'll interpret it for you. It's uh. <laughs> It's a big old heaping pile, you know. It's no, it's and, no fun to talk in reality, Fred. So no. I guess the, I guess this <laughs> comes down to that if Fred was coming from Oklahoma, he would not go to Kentucky for his his <laughs> his trail tour right now. Is that what it, is that what it boils down to? Oh no, I didn't say that. I totally would. I just would I'd leave my <laughs> camera in the car because, especially if I got a barrel pick lined up. But um, look, man. I, I know like I know my people, I know like my like my inner circle, people would respect whatever rules that would be there. So if you are planning to come, just make sure, even if they don't believe in them, just make sure that your friends are um, respecting the rules. As we did, you know, in the military, we said like, you know, it's your if your battle buddy screws up, it's your fault. You know, so if you have a friend who's not following the rules of that respective distillery or the CDC measurements or whatever that's put on, whether or not you believe in them or not, uh, follow them. 
because you will ruin it for the rest of us because our governor will crack down the minute that there are cases tied to distilleries. And that is my final word on it is that if, if even if you don't believe in it, follow the rules based on the fact that you know that our government, our governing leaders will crack down if you don't. So another bourbon talk topic, who's everyone va- voting for in November? <laughs> <laughs> oh, buddy. I vote for Ryan Cecil. Yep. Between between you and Kanye, it'd be good running yeah. mates right there. Yeah. I'm his vice. I'm his VP candidate. <laughs> Is it, he really running now? I mean, uh, then we're not going to jump into it, friend. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. Right, let's, let's not get into it. Let's not get into it. Hey, listen, uh, how, don't 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 bait me, Blake. Yeah, you know, don't, don't I get a Kanye them. conversation. Yeah, <laughs> I, I will say because we get we get emails and questions all the time on social media, and they say, "Hey, I'm coming to Kentucky. Which distilleries to visit?" Right now, if you even contemplate and thinking about coming to visit, make sure you do your research and you get all your reservations made far in advance because anything or any place that is open is taking online reservations. And where it is, they are filling up fast because they're at 50% or less capacity, social distancing, everything like that is going on. Um, we also have our Yelp page where we have recommendations of all restaurants and things to do in Louisville. And I'd say about a quarter of those are not happening right now. So make sure that if you are looking for restaurants to go to or anything like that, odds are it's going to be just a little bit different. So just do your research. So can can we keep playing Fox News, CNN? (laughs) I like it. We really just started on. uh, We started with haircuts. Now we're on to political (laughs) conversations. I mean, we're 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 ADD tonight. Yeah, (laughs) I like it. All right. Well, let's let's finish it with a fun question then. Um, So everybody around here, you've got we all got we've all got bottles on the shelves and we look at a bottle and we see the fill level. It might have like two ounces left, maybe three, maybe even less than that. And what's your what's your mindset? Do you go through and you have a feel that you need to finish them off or do you want to keep them and savor that last that last sip? So during covid not to bring it back to covid <laughs> uh i actually went through and finished a bunch of them because my mindset was oh i gotta save those like last two pours for some for me and someone special and then i was like well i'm never gonna see anyone special so, <laughs> <laughs> so i'm just gonna drink it <laughs> and so i finished a lot of them but i still have a few uh that i have those like two ounce pours just because i'm like i can't finish it myself i gotta have somebody over to finish it with I've uh, so I think for me it's it's interesting. So when I get to like that two to three ounce pour, I have no problem just pouring it and enjoying the bottle. It's when I have like two to three pours left, right? So I have like six to seven ounces. It's when I kind of stop and I'm like, oh, okay, I can I can pour this for myself and one or two other people. Like let me just hold on to it a little longer. Let me hold on to it a little longer. When there's just a pour left, I'll just pour it. So I have all these bottles. They have like, you know, two to three glasses left that I'm like, wait, well, I'll just drink something else instead. I'll keep saving it for when people come over or something like that. It just doesn't happen. So, like, I think everyone's been everyone's threshold of when do they just stop and when do they drink it is is a little bit different, which is interesting. Yeah, I've been I've been finishing them. They uh, I I had I had a few that I'd been hanging on to, and they're all gone now in the last three months. I mean, it's it's one thing it's helped you learn is just enjoy it. And uh, we do driveway drinking on Friday nights with the neighbors on the court, and so I've brought them out for that. So I still get a, a little bit of a chance to share, but enjoying people absolutely so i guess i'm the only one who just leaves their bottles like you know one pour left in them and i'm like eh, i'll save that for a special occasion <laughs> and then i'm just onto another bottle and I, I said at the beginning of the show we i don't even know if we're alive yet but i was like ah, let me see what i want to drink and there's you know 10 different bottles with probably two ounces left in them I'm not going to drink from those bottles. I'm not going to kill a bottle because I don't know. It's, I don't know if it's FOMO or like, you know, when it's gone, it's gone. It's failure or a fear of commitment or what, but (laughs) I'm on that, on that train. I can't just finish a bottle off. I kind of had that same thing a a little bit. Not too recently ago is I had like a 1970s, like wild Turkey and I had it like during COVID. I mean, I had like this much left and, I I think I had it with Ryan a few times and yeah, I was just like, just waiting just for like, just somebody to come over so we could kill this thing. And uh, yeah, just guess it's just one of those things. I I have that same feeling too, that 
if you have a really good bottle, you're sitting there just like waiting for that one last pour to just share with somebody else instead of just like, well, Friday night, I'm on my ninth pour. I might as well just go ahead. And, <laughs> might as well knock it out. Yeah, yeah. just go ahead or and take Tuesday this one down. Or Tuesday or Wednesday or yeah. you know, whatever. I'll, I'll say you guys have the luxury, uh, from what I hear, that your significant other does not drink bourbon. Am I right in that? Yes. Yes. There uh, is not, not, not the a same bourbon. Yeah. That's the same bourbon. All right. So there is not a bottle in my house that I want and continue to want that my wife will not just tear down when I'm out, you know, for what I'm, I'll be out like report recording a, a live stream and I'll look over right before I'm about to go on. And she takes a selfie with, with a, with like the, the Bardstown bourbon company, a discovery series two. <laughs> uh, which you know made my whiskey of the year list, and and she's like, I'm about to drink this right here, and and you know it, it, she's in her little runner groups that she has these like drinking with runner. Uh, I'm a runner. I'm a drinker with a running problem. She's in all these groups like that. It's really and, hard to keep um, your Glenn Karen like not spilling spilling when you're doing that, huh? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but she's like. I mean, she like destroys the bottles when I get them to about right there, and um, it's. It's cute, but also kind of annoying because I want to finish. <laughs> well, I know that I know that because you've you've nursed that Mictor's twenty for almost like six or eight months, and it, I, every time I see it in the videos, it's just like just like uh, just a hair smaller, but it still makes it in there. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing too is I have to like have these really good bottles for the for the artists. Like, I mean, I just Lee Bryce is is my favorite country singer, and I and I his episode uh, came out today, and I. I sent him some A.H. Hearst, uh, uh, 16-year-old from the 1974, you know, so. I guess I should have gotten a record label before I met you. Yeah. Yeah. Hold on, Lee Bryce is a a, uh, bourbon drinker? Big time, yeah, yeah. He's actually connected to a brand. He's got a brand. But, yeah, so, uh, anyway, I, uh, I, I do find, like, with Dusty's, like, if there's just a little bit left in a Dusty, I won't touch it because it will be, like, um, It'll be a little bit calcified and like oxidated. Like uh, if you are if you are a dusty drinker and you're and you're planning to like um, in my experience, like the minute it gets down to like mid label, you got to kill it uh, or have it like uh, you know specially decanted. All right. So if you want to make it on Fred's good list, go ahead, get out there, get yourself a. A record label deal, uh, sell it, you know, go platinum, <laughs> get on his podcast. All of a sudden, you're going to have a 1970s Dusty yeah. end up on your doorstep. So, that's all you I've need got. to do it's it's the easy way to success. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he, he couldn't have, he couldn't have made it a little bit more crystal clear for you. All right, let's go ahead and let's close this out. So, I want to say thank you all again for coming on the show tonight. I think we hit a lot of good topics. Uh, I I think that haircut thing was great. We got to figure out a way to incorporate that into some sort of signage or something one day i don't know if it's a big sticker or next round table Stick, sticker. i think it's a sticker for the next next private barrel yeah but, sticker community, sure. yeah but something's got to come out of that but uh let's go I'll ahead see fred riding a bull and jordan with a uh, rat tail lightning <laughs> <laughs> together yeah by the way i know the agent of rat so like john henderson brought up in the chat he's like all right rat's got to be the band rat's got to be a part of it so i'll see if i can make it happen there we go all right, so let's go ahead and start closing this out. So, Jordan, I'll let you go first. Sure. This is Jordan from BreakingBourbon.com, one of the three guys who runs the site. You can find us at Breaking Bourbon on all the socials. You cannot find us with rat tails anymore, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, if this goes on long enough, maybe I'll start growing them back. All right, Blake. Yeah, once again, I'm Blake from Bourboner. Uh, thanks for having me. You know, always fun. Always enjoy talking with you guys. And, uh you know, even when we uh, kind of skew off topic a little bit and venture into other worlds, it's, it's always a good time. So thanks for having me. You can find me at all the social medias, uh, com, And uh, yeah, be back next month. Hi, right, Brian. Go ahead. All right. Thanks for having me on again. Brian with Sippin' Corn. You find me at bourbonjustice.com and on the socials all at uh, Sippin' Corn. Had a fun time tonight, and uh, I'll let everybody know about the uh, barrel selection this Friday. It's 
It's one that I can't tell you where it is because as far as I know, it's the first pick of this label ever. If, if, no, the, no, no, we're, we're, if the distiller we're, we're, was we'll a shutdown, how many now. millions of dollars would they lose in a day? <laughs> <laughs> Let me yeah, do the math. It's got to be a happy 20-year release. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> private barrel happy. So is it in Kentucky? Or the first is it in Kentucky, Brian? It is in Kentucky. Is it the first for the brand or the first for the distillery? First for this brand. Okay. It's the first uh, early times from Buffalo uh, Trail. Uh, yep, it's the early times private selection with wax top. Ooh. Oh, I can Not I can bad. totally Not see bad. Brian getting the first early times from Sazerac. Yeah. <laughs> they called they called Sazerac, me right away. Sazerac loves Brian, don't they? Yeah. Didn't he do yeah. the uh... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Huh. All right. Well, I guess everybody's gonna have to yeah. wait and hear that news Not, at a at a later date. Next month. Yep. There we go. All right, I've, I've conducted this train long enough. Cecil, you want to close it out? Thanks, everyone, for tuning in, and uh, appreciate all you all joining in. I know it takes a lot out of your schedules to come join with us. So uh, appreciate everyone, and we'll see you next week. Yeah.